If I could get everybody to turn to John 1. As we begin to think about life, living as human beings on this planet, almost from the beginning, men, women, and children have written about the world they live in. True? They've written. Writing has been something that man has done from almost the beginning. They have written about love and hate. They write about beauty and the horror of the world around them. They write about justice and injustice, good and evil, reality and fantasy. The number of written words compiled throughout mankind's history is innumerable. And that, in and of itself, that one statement is an understatement of massive proportions. There are many who would consider the Bible to be one of the most important uh, works ever written by man. But we know the Bible was not written by man. It is the inspired Word of God who worked through certain men to record His Word exactly as He wanted it. Theologically, this process is or was called inspiration. And we'll state it this way. God superintended or looked over the human authors of the Bible so that their individual styles would be preserved, but the result was precisely what God wanted. That is the process of inspiration. And we see the idea of inspiration in a, a number of biblical passages. One of them that we're going to look at is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And listen to what he says. We also had the prophetic message, and he's talking about Scripture there, as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand, listen to this, that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What we know is that the Word of God is not man's words. It is God's Word through men. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out through nustos. It came from God's breath, not from mankind. All the words God spoke in His Word are eternally important and should all be studied intently. However, there are certain passages that seem to jump out and grab our attention and implant themselves forever in the deepest recesses of our minds. And our passage today is one of those passages. A few minutes ago, Troy read what is known as the prologue of John's Gospel. In just the first 18 verses of his gospel, he sums up everything. He kind of outlines everything that's going to follow throughout the rest of the gospel. And he answers life's two most important fundamental questions. Who is Jesus and what will you do with him? He sums that up in the prologue, but he's going to talk about that for the rest of the book. 
And we've already seen that John answers the first question in chapter 1, verses 5, uh, 1 through 5, and in verse 17, uh, he says that the babe, the, the babe in the manger, what we have been uh, looking at for this whole Advent season, is deity in the flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we know that from those portions of Scripture that we've already looked at. And then John answers the second question in verses 6 through 13. What are you going to do with him? You need to believe in him. And I really like how Tammy uh, summed this up in a text she sent to me. She goes, I kind of summed, summed everything up that you've been saying uh, for last week's sermon. And here's how, how she put it. The light had to come to illuminate and reveal our depravity and bring us into relationship with God because our heritage, deeds, and self cannot do it. That's, what, that's a perfect summation of verses 6 through 13. The light had to come to illuminate and reveal our depravity and bring us into relationship with God because our heritage, deeds, and self cannot do it. And this morning we're going to finish our Advent series, Who is the Babe?, by focusing on verse 14, where John again brings to the forefront of our minds that the Word became flesh, the Babe, Jesus Christ, that he was God in the flesh. So look at John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Over and over in my studies for this sermon, various commentators have made statements like this about this verse. Dr. Mike Stanton it is not an exaggeration to say that John 1.14 is the sentence that changes everything. It is a truth that is far beyond our words. John MacArthur says similarly about verse 14. Verse 14 is the most concise biblical statement of the incarnation and therefore one of the Scripture's most significant Scriptures. Why is this one verse, such an important verse that leads many to feel it is this significant? First, it very clearly and succinctly presents the truth of the incarnation. God became flesh. Look at the first part of verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Became, we need to understand, does not mean that Jesus uh, ceased to be the Word, as we know from our past studies. He didn't cease to become deity as the second person of the Trinity that John writes about in those first verses, Jesus is still that. God is immutable, never changing. Jesus is God, and the writer of Hebrews clearly states that He is immutable as God and never changing. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is what? Many of us know this. Say it. The same yesterday and today and for what? He is deity. He is God. He is never changing. He is immutable. When He became fully man, He remained fully God. That He became flesh affirms, that Je affirms Jesus' full humanity. Let that sink into your mind. John made it very clear in verses 1 and 2 that the Word is deity because he, the Word is eternal, because the Word is creator of the universe, and because He is self-existent. Now he states just as concisely that the Word became flesh. The second person of the Trinity took on humanity. 
He is still God, verses 1 and 2, but He also took on humanity. So what does it mean that Jesus Christ, the Word, became flesh? Paul answers this in his letter to the Colossians, that if everybody would turn to Colossians chapter 1, uh, you'll see it up there on the screen, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. He has delivered us, and that is God. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we all would say to that, Amen. But now, He is going to talk about Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about Jesus Christ. Or in verse 13, we see this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He, and this is Jesus Christ, remember, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. And basically what we see there in verses 15 through 18 is that Paul makes it really clear that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, who created all things, who is preexistent, who holds everything together, and He was the firstborn from the dead, which means that He is the proof that we will also be born from the dead. But then Paul sums it up in verse 19. He sums all of that up in, in verse 19, and he says this, For in Him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What does it mean that Jesus became flesh? Jesus is the perfect, absolutely accurate image of God. He did not become the image of God when He became flesh, but He's been that way from all of eternity. And the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus Christ is, is God. He has the same nature as God. He has the same uh, image as God. He reflects God's attributes. He is the exact imprint. Jesus is the exact likeness of God. He is in the very form of God as we find in Philippians 2. And that is why he could say in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's what it means that Jesus Christ became flesh. When He became flesh, and He came in on earth and, 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 and presented Himself to us, what we saw was God in the flesh. In Christ, the invisible God became visible. And that is why John wrote in verse 14, look at the last part of verse 14. We have seen His glory, glory as the only, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen God in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of God, and all the fullness of God dwells in Him. And when we look at Jesus, as I said, we see God. Yes, Jesus still did veil His deity while on earth, and we know that, because what one point in the New Testament do we see even more of God's, of Jesus Christ's deity? The transfiguration. When He became white as light. And His disciples, His apostles, 
We're scared. Just for a few minutes, he took the veil off. But even though he was veiled, he is, was and still is the greatest revelation of God to mankind. We would not know God like we know God if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. This truth doesn't just boggle the mind. It is incomprehensible. Let this sink in. This is why this verse by so many people uh, is considered one of the most important in all of Scripture. All of who God is. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, became human. How do we understand that? It is a truth we will never wholly grasp. But when we take what John wrote in verses 1 and 2 about the word being deity and lay that right alongside verse 14, we see laid before us the answer to the question, who is the babe in the manger? The babe in the manger was God incarnate. God come to earth, fully human, fully God. When we sing away in the manger, we need to stop thinking of the little plastic baby that sits in most mangers. We need to think, uh, stop thinking of the cute real babies that sit in some mangers. We need to look at that babe in the manger, those representations that we have in cantatas and music and plays and all that kind of stuff, and see Him as being God in the flesh. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God came in flesh so that we could understand Him better, know Him better, so we could understand that He is real. Look at verse 14 again. And the Word became flesh, and what does it say? He dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is a really interesting word. It literally means to pitch a tent or to tabernacle. And you could read it this way. Uh, the Word became flesh and tabernacled uh, among us. And tabernacled among us. This word would have caused many of John's readers to think back up how God came and dwelt within the tabernacle in the wilderness with the Israelites. But instead of God's presence being limited to the Holy of Holies and only seen once a year by uh, uh, the high priest, here we now have God in the flesh in front of us in the Word of God right now, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John. And when He lived His life in front of all those people, we see the God of the Holy of Holies presented to man in human flesh so that we could understand again who He was and who He is. And Jesus had to do more than just become God in the flesh. He had to live among us fully human, fully God. He had to live life in a sinful world and deal with the temptations that come with the life that we live, the life that He lived in this world. He came and lived among us so He could partake of the same things other flesh and blood humans partook of, except without sin. The writer of Hebrews comments about uh, this concept this idea in several verses in hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 15 we read this 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He, Jesus Christ Himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came and dwelt among us so that He might destroy the works of the devil and deliver us from the fear of death. Amen. That's the babe in the manger. That's why we are going to celebrate today, right now, celebrate tonight at 5.30, and why we're going to celebrate all day tomorrow, because He came to defeat Satan and release us from the slavery of sin. We also find in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Therefore it was necessary... For Him to be made, Jesus Christ, to be made in every respect like us, His brothers and sisters, so that He could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then He could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since He Himself has gone through suffering and testing, He is able to help us when we are being tested. Jesus Christ dwelt among us as one of us so that He might become our eternal high priest, protecting us from the wrath of God so that He could help us when we encounter life's difficulties. That's who Jesus Christ is, God in the flesh. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one, listen, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, without sin. Jesus dwelt among us so that He could sympathize with us when we come face to face with the temptations that, that come before us. He understands what it means to be human, but in His life on earth, He didn't sin, so He could offer Himself as a sacrifice for our sins because we succumbed to the temptations and He did not. Jesus dwelt among us in full humanity so that He could be tempted in every area just like we are and respond to that temptation without sin so that He could destroy the power of Satan, so He could save us from our sins by offering His sinless life to pay for our sin debt and so that He could become our faithful high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and intercede for us before the throne of God. And that is why we can come before the throne of God every day and pray because of the babe in the manger. We so often cheapen the babe. We give the babe lip service. But we forget who he was. Let me ask you another question this morning. Why did Jesus Christ, the Word of God in the flesh, become a babe in the manger and dwell among us? Why? We've already alluded to it. So that mankind, for the first time since sin entered the world, could truly see the glory of God up close and personal. I can't even imagine the change in the garden. We don't know how long it went on, but Jesus, or God, walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. They had contact with Him. They had a personal relationship with Him. They knew who He was in ways that we can't even imagine. And then they disobeyed, they rebelled. And that relationship ceased. And they never saw Him again like that. We've never had the opportunity to have the first part. We've never 
had the opportunity to see God and have a personal relationship with Him like Adam and Eve did. And we were born into sin, completely separated from God, until He he opened our eyes and showed us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when our eyes were opened, we could see through His Word who Jesus Christ is, the babe in the manger of God in the flesh. So why did Jesus come? So that mankind, for the first time since sin entered the world, could truly see the glory of God up close. For the, again, for the first time. God has revealed Himself to us as human beings in a number of ways. God has revealed Himself to man through creation. And we see this in, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse for although they knew God. Basically, they rejected God. Think about this. We understand who God is through creation. God has revealed Himself to us through creation. Now, creation doesn't tell us who that God is. It doesn't reveal that it's Jesus Christ. But if you look at creation, what do we know? There's somebody bigger out there. This didn't just happen. And so creation reveals God to us. And then we also know that God has revealed Himself to us through His Word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20-21, through 21, Know this first of all, or knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God has revealed Himself through His Word. Creation says there's a God. And God says, I'm going to tell you who that God is through my word, the Bible. He says, I'm going to reveal myself to you through his word. And you have the Old Testament scriptures for the Israel. You have the letters of of the epistles. But before the Bible was put together, it was the word of God. Creation first, then the word of God. That God revealed himself through But then the babe came and he has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And we see that in uh, Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Listen to the big word here. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the Word. He says, I, but I now am going to reveal Myself through Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity who walked on earth and showed who I am through His life and through His death and through His resurrection. Jesus Christ became flesh so that mankind for the first time since sin entered the world could truly see the glory of God up close and personal. And how was God's glory displayed through Jesus Christ's human life on earth? 
Look at verse 14 again. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. He's revealed Himself to us through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is revealed to us most clearly through His provision of grace that Jesus Christ showed us while He lived. Truth and grace are two of God's attributes that are closely connected with salvation. God's Word teaches that salvation from sin comes through believing the truth of God, uh, good news about Jesus Christ. And after he believes that truth, then one receives by grace salvation through faith. You see, you have to have the truth first before you can be saved. Grace and truth are two sides of the same coin. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through what? The grace of whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who? When did we see that grace? When He lived on this planet. When, we're, when we are focused on it, when we're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But then we have Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This is... Paul, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Where did, what did Paul want to do with his life? He wanted to testify about the grace of God, whom he found out, or that he found out about through whom? Jesus Christ. And then we have Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him... Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. We know about grace because of Jesus Christ and His life on this earth. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is by the truth that you know the grace. It is clear in God's Word that salvation is only by grace of God obtained through faith in the work of Jesus Christ's human life, death, and resurrection on earth. But as I said, that saving grace can only be found by those who believe the truth of the gospel, the true gospel revealed through Jesus Christ. And we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of what? The truth. Salvation is connected to the truth. Jesus Christ with the full expression of God's grace in human flesh. All the necessary truth to save is available in Him. And He was the full expression of God's truth. And this is why Jesus Christ could declare to us in John 14, 6. Jesus said to Him, I am the way, and what's it say? The truth. It is only through Jesus Christ that we see the truth of salvation, the truth of the gospel, the truth of saving grace. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can really understand what the truth is. No one comes to me, no one comes to the Father except through me, the truth. John 8, chapter, verse 31 if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
If you abide in whose word? Jesus' word. I am the truth. If you abide in what I teach, if you abide in the truth that I teach, that I live out every day in my life, that I have showed you as a person, as a human, then, he says, that truth will set you free from the slavery of sin. We need to understand that a belief in God apart from the truth about Christ will not result in salvation. A belief in God apart from the truth about Christ will not result in salvation. And we know that because the Bible tells us that the demons believe. And are they saved? Absolutely not. Do they know more about God than we do? Absolutely. Do they know more about Jesus Christ than we do? Absolutely. But they are not saved. Jesus himself warned us in John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe, that is one of the major words we're going to see throughout all the gospel of John. It is the word that is most often used by John and throughout the entire gospel. The idea is you need to believe who Jesus is. You need to understand what you need to do to receive him. And you need to understand that you will die in your sins if you don't believe that. Those who reject God's full revelation of Himself in Jesus Christ, we need to understand, will be eternally lost. Jesus Christ, the Word, God in the flesh, become the babe in the manger and dwell among us. Why did He do that? So that mankind, for the first time since sin entered the world, could truly see the glory of God up close and personal so they could see the glory of the gospel of grace through the truth they saw lived out in the life of Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger. That's why he had to come as the babe in the manger. And as we close our time together in the Word, I'd like us to reflect on a couple of things. We need to understand that the four words, the Word became flesh, those four words changed the world forever. Because if those four words are not true, then there is no salvation. There is no salvation. Before the world became flesh, the world was full of darkness and mankind was a slave to sin. All of mankind was destined to be God's enemy for all of eternity. All of mankind was doomed to be the object of God's wrath. But... When God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, clothed in human flesh, fully God and fully human, a bright light shone in the darkness. A bright light shone. A bright light that came into the world as a babe in a manger. A bright light that revealed the truth of the gospel of grace, lived out in full view through Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. That is why we celebrate the Advent season we know what the babe is. We know who the babe is. We know. We've looked at it for a number of weeks now. But we also know in between the description of who the babe is in verses 6 through 13, it says that he is the light and you must believe in that light. So the other question that we all have to answer this morning for us, first of all, personally, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do? 
He is the only way out of the darkness. He is the only revelation of God that we have. The revelation of God does not come through the church. The revelation of God does not come through a man or a person or a a system of theology. The Word of God comes through knowing who Jesus Christ is. Now, so what are you going to do with this man? Well, most of us in here this morning would say, well, I've accepted him as my Savior. And you want to know something? That gives us a reason to rejoice more than in that more than anything else about this Christmas season. This Christmas season needs to be focused on who the babe is and that he opened our eyes and that he has allowed us to see him and that he has given us the light of himself so that we can be his brothers and his sisters as heirs of God. And that needs to be the focus of why we do. We can enjoy family, we can enjoy the food, and I'm looking forward to all of that. I can't wait. It's going to start when we leave here. All right? But you want to know something? If that is what makes my day today, if that's what makes my day tomorrow, then I have missed who the babe of the manger is. Don't just read the Christmas story because that's tradition on Christmas morning. Read the Christmas story. Read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 and understand why we are rejoicing tomorrow. If you have not come to a conclusion or have not come to a point where you know exactly what you've done with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that we here, me, would love to help you understand who Jesus Christ is in a very, very new way. We want you to understand that He is the only way out of the darkness, that He is the only way that we can really celebrate Christmas and have it be something other than a secular holiday. If you have not done anything with Jesus Christ, let me help you see further how you need to. You need to make a choice. Father God, as we have looked at your word as we have over the last few weeks and as we have become much more familiar with who your son is and why he came as a babe in the manger and why he needed to live in human flesh, fully human, fully God. Father, I pray that even in these big theological ideas that we cannot get our minds around, we cannot wrap our hearts around, that you would open our hearts and minds to have the faith to see that we need Him to save us. A personal Savior. A Savior who died for us, who left heaven, who left the glory of heaven to live on this earth, to experience life on a sinful earth so that He could become our sacrifice. Oh, Lord, thank You for that. Thank you that we know more now than we did a few weeks ago about the babe in the manger and that we have dealt with some really important questions. Father, I pray that it would change the way we celebrate Christmas this year. 
In Christ's name, amen.